0: Hello, and thank you for joining the Dr. Whisperer podcast. I am your host, Sharon Feckety. I am the Dr. Whisperer, and I am so happy that you chose this podcast to listen to when there are so many choices out there. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider writing a review or typing one, shall I say, and sharing it with somebody who might benefit or enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everybody. and welcome to the Doctor Was for a Show. I am Sharon Fekety, your host, and I'm very pleased today to bring you Dr. Jessica Allen, who um, you know, we connect via LinkedIn and um'm always happy for that platform. LinkedIn, if you're not on it, you're missing out. But um Dr. Allen provides doctors with guidance and training um in non-clinical uh, insurance consulting.
1: Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then, um, Dr. Allen's going to talk about an upcoming zoom meeting, um, where you can review non-clinical remote work options. So I really love this conversation because I know there are so many doctors today, especially that are burnt out and would like to almost step away from seeing patients. And that's not, that doesn't make you a bad person, doctor. It just means that there's maybe just a shift in in what you thought the medical industry would be and what it might be. So Dr. Jessica Allen, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks Sharon. Um, And you bring up a a big point that is a giant mission for um, me launching this coaching program is to remove the stigma between a doctor wanting to explore non-clinical options. There's um, whether it's coming from other colleagues or your family, um, there's an idea that because you've spent so much time and so much money on your education that you need to dedicate every minute of your life to having your hands on people for the rest of forever. And for some people, it it just doesn't make any sense, whether it's your personality or whether um, there's other logistical reasons, like if a doctor moves across the country, that can be Um, devastating for practice. So um, non-clinical work like utilization review and peer review is a good option to incorporate into your routine so that you don't have so much dependence on seeing patients.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that. I think that um, this could be a really great uh, resource and and a space to have an open conversation about this. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your own journey? Um, because usually when somebody starts something so uh, out of the box, it's uh, you know, a need and a personal need. Um, so I'm just assuming, because I don't know this, that there was uh, uh, something happening in your life that made you go in this direction yourself.
1: Absolutely. Um, for me, it came from my, my husband works for Homeland Security and I've been in practice for 11 years and we've changed states six times. We've wow. had to relocate for his job. And I remember living in Florida. We were just north of Tampa, and he told me that we were going to be moving again. This Mm -hmm. time to Nashville, Tennessee, which was a super cool.
0: Yeah, I love Nashville. I just got back from there. It's like the greatest.
1: Oh, we're going back (laughs) again in August. I'm so excited. Oh gosh, yeah, Yeah. I love everything about Nashville. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but I was absolutely devastated because I was going to be shutting down my fourth practice, Mm -hmm. and um, just felt like there had to be something. To do for someone that had a collection of state licenses, like that was the only thing special about me, is like I had all these right, different right. licenses. And I was yeah. like there's got to be something out there, so I ended up taking a class in Clearwater for a weekend, um, and I was the only doctor in my specialty. There it was it was pretty cool. Um, I learned what these types of positions were called, and uh, they gave me a list of companies to contact, and, and I went absolutely Crazy with it, I emailed all these companies all the time. I followed up on a, a regular schedule, and I just didn't take no from anybody until I had pretty much a full a full-time um, job between working for a few different companies. So in that, I just have a lot of experience working with um, what different companies want, what are the expectations from different types of cases, and um, I found right away that a lot of the doctors that I was talking to would say, oh, you sound like you really care about your job or you're you're so polite or thank you for telling me this. Even if I had to support denial for a request, they'd say, thank you for explaining to me why, Mm. uh, why this couldn't happen. And so it didn't take too long. Um, So between knowing that I I had um, an advantage in this industry just from working with a lot of different companies And then through building my social platforms, there were lots of doctors reaching out to me saying, Hey, how did you get your job? How did you do this? How did you like, how did this come to be? So um, I started private coaching in March of 2020, (laughs) when Mm. a lot of people found a lot of extra time on their hands. Yeah, yeah, the whole Uh, world, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was really fun. I got to know a lot of different types of doctors, uh, plastic surgeons and cardiologists and all these people with all these different experiences wanting to diversify their days. In addition to diversifying their income. Um, so after doing that for two years, I decided to make a, an e-course program um, because a lot of the information is the same, regardless of what type of specialty you are, there's a certain mm-hmm. amount of guidelines, there's a certain amount of policies, and there's uh, just a, a, one way to go about working for a lot of these different companies. So uh, my online program reviews how to deal with workers' compensation cases disability cases, uh, major medical cases, and then personal injury and and sort of car accident cases. And then um, one thing that I'm really proud of that my program offers is a section I call peer review charm school. So I go through what to expect when you're onboarding with a lot of these corporate companies, because a lot of doctors have been um, in clinical practice for several years uh, a lot of people that get into this industry are in sort of that semi-retirement range mm-hmm. so they might not even have a job resume at all that's right <laughs>
0: and yeah. they might
1: not know how to deal with um, a human resources person that's 20 and has absolutely no clinical experience and um I, a lot of doctors I know have gotten frustrated with that, just even that onboarding process. So I go through exactly what to expect, exactly what you should follow up on, exactly what your resume should say, mm-hmm. so that someone who's 20 and doesn't know anything about medicine still knows that you're a qualified doctor to take on this role. And then also, my tactics for um, when you speak with the doctors, how to make sure that that conversation is. Um, is concise and doesn't take a lot of time. And then it's also really peaceful to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. So tell me about this upcoming um, event that you have, you have an upcoming zoom meeting, which, you know, we all love zoom. Well, you either love it or you hate it. Um, but you <laughs> certainly don't have to leave your nice home office or your home or your kitchen in order to gain this knowledge. So why don't you let everybody know a little
1: bit about it? So it's January 26th, and it'll Mm -hmm. be at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So it'll be lunchtime for all the the central central timers. Um, I'm going to review sort of the definitions of utilization review and peer review. Uh, what the differences are and what the companies are called. I find that that's a big barrier a lot of doctors have for, um, that's kind of where their curiosity stops when they look at, okay, what else can I do besides seeing patients? And they don't know what peer review means or what utilization review means. Um, And they might be trying to apply for big companies like Humana, where that's not an entry uh, position at all. That would be for someone who's been doing peer review for the independent review organizations for several years. So mm-hmm. a lot of doctors end up frustrated that way because they try to go immediately to these large corporations. And that's not, that's not the proper strategy. Sounds
0: about right. <laughs> yeah.
1: the
0: doctor's like, I'm just going to go right to the
1: top. Just right yeah. here, yep. Yeah. There's probably <laughs> so some steps along the, the way. That's what the Zoom meeting focuses on. is like, okay, let's mm-hmm. take small bites out of this industry. And uh, I do review a few more details about the coaching program in there to uh, kind of what happens if, if we're doing private coaching versus the e-coaching program. Um, and I answer a lot of the stigma questions too, as far as what people first say to me when I say, "Oh, I'm a peer review doctor. And they usually say, "You, <laughs> you're that mean person that calls and you sit uh-huh. behind a desk and all these crazy things. And it's just not the case at all.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. What are some of the things that people have said?
1: Oh, a big one I get is that there's no way that uh, if I'm speaking with another doctor, they, they say there's no way. That I could call another doctor and say, "You can't have this, or this is denied, or uh, you're not going to get paid for whatever service that they're requesting, and um, to say to that, really, when I, I get to the point where I'm talking directly with the physician, mm-hmm. there's more often than not, I can support approval for a request. There's usually some type of logistical thing that just wasn't clear in the documentation or um some type of, um, some type of complication with that patient's care just wasn't expressed. Mm-hmm. And through speaking one-on-one with the doctor in a way that, um, I've narrowed down exactly what the problem is with the documentation and we can address that quickly and mm-hmm. efficiently, then a lot of that stuff really just gets sorted out and everybody can move forward and the patient can get taken care of and the doctor can get paid, And it solves all kinds of problems. And then in the circumstances where I really can't certify or support certification for a request, being able to explain to the doctor why really helps them move forward in in a better Mm -hmm. way. So that the next time they have this particular situation come up, they better know what to do. So most of the time, even though I have to support denial for a request, the doctor still thanks me for the conversation because I've taught them something.
0: Mm, I love it. So what is um, commonly, what types of physicians are you seeing that are taking on these roles now?
1: A lot in physical medicine. So your PMNR docs, physiatrists, uh, orthopedic surgeons, neurologists, Uh, Because a lot of this work revolves around injury. So workers' compensation is a really big industry, uh, Mm -hmm. both short and long-term disability is another big industry, and then also personal injury, too. So uh, physical medicine and then also behavioral health is uh, is one that is growing a lot lately. Um, I found four years ago, I had to take on a lot of behavioral health questions even though it's not necessarily my specialty. And so I had to learn a lot about what these different scores mean, and uh, what these medications do, and uh, what these types of treatments are supposed to result in. I had to do, I did do a crash course in psychiatry in order to uh, get these reviews taken care of. So I really encourage a lot of professionals that are in behavioral health to incorporate at least a little bit of utilization review and peer review into their routine, because you can help tons of people Mm -hmm. just by being that person that knows what they're talking about.
0: Well, how does that work? I mean, Uh, you know, just uh, for people that are listening to the show that have never even heard of peer review um, and don't have an understanding for So if you're assessing something that has to do with behavioral health, and just like you mentioned, it's not your specialty. And that is, you know, um, near and dear to my own heart, because mental health is uh, one of the absolute biggest uh, stigmas and and, uh, epidemics, you know, with mental illness right now. So so what does, that, what does that look like? Can you kind of just expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So it might um, might work best for me to back up just a tiny bit. So how these cases end up getting to doctors is because a request has come into an insurance company. And another thing that I really didn't understand about this whole industry is that it's all human. I had this idea that insurance companies were these big conglomerates that had all these robots that just took care of everything and that was all ones and zeros and completely heartless and that's not the case at all so an insurance company will get a request from a doctor and it goes to a real person it will go usually to a nurse and they might not know how to deal with the request so they call upon an independent review organization that has a panel of physicians And these companies come in all different shapes and sizes and range from coast to coast. And there might be situations where like Texas, for example, you cannot review a Texas case without a Texas license. So you end up with um, maybe a licensed professional counselor is the most preferred doctor for the case. But you also have to have a couple backups, because these need to get turned in in a decent amount of time too. So if you don't have a counselor available on a Tuesday morning, you end up with uh, maybe an orthopedic surgeon reviewing the case, who is mm-hmm. still a very intelligent person and can read documentation and knows guidelines, but they might not be the best specialist for that particular occasion. So um, that it makes it really important for um, people that want to stay mostly clinical take your peer review calls <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because. A Mm -hmm. lot of times it's a a doctor that has actual questions and there's an actual purpose to the conversation. So it's nothing to try to avoid. It's nothing that's inherently confrontational. Um, Mm -hmm. There's actual genuine questions about treatment for your patient. So um, behavioral health is a big one where we need lots and lots of doctors from all different states and to join these panels so that we can take care of people exactly the way they need to get taken care of.
0: Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool and they're here in Tampa Bay. If you're a Tampa Bay listener, Thai technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I work with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus they are integrated with zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook And on Instagram, Thai Technology Rocks. Yeah, sure. So, well, great. I mean, I'm thinking about how this can be helpful to somebody who is really just, listen, there are a lot of doctors today, whether anybody wants to hear it or not, that are just not excited anymore about treating patients. And it's because of what's gone on, especially in the last few years, it has been very, very difficult. And to be able to... Um, take the, the knowledge that you have and you're still helping people um, and then being able to pay your bills at the same time, <laughs> it's certainly yep. um, worth, uh, worth understanding. So I can't help but to be very transparent about um, this because it's as I'm listening to you, I'm reminded of the days I was director of um, uh, operations at New York Medical, and we did, um, a lot of, um, a lot of injury cases. So we had orthopedists, we had neurologists, we had, um, and we worked next to chiropractors and we put physical therapy place, massage therapy and ortho, all the physiatrists and all the things that the chiropractor could not. And we would work together and our, um, you know, our, our tagline in the business world. And I've said this often was treat them and street them, which is terrible, but that's a reality, right? And um, a lot of these cases, which um, a lot of them were were very valid, but then there were a lot of people, there's an actual name that is in my head right now, I haven't forgotten since I was in my twenties, who was just a a constant patient and mm-hmm. a constant repeat and had so many lawsuits. And um, you just know that there's some people that are that are milking the system. Oh, yeah. And there are some people that have that. And of course, those people ruin it for everybody else.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) But are legitimate cases. And we can listen. I, I use simple references to show people how, you know, there's only one reason why an employee handbook uh, gets an addendum to a new policy. And it's because there's an asshole somewhere Mm -hmm. around. Okay. When that happens, you know uh, you have to create a new policy. So everybody gets affected. So insurance companies get affected reputation of what you're discussing gets affected because there are definitely abusers of the system. Um, And and so, and you mentioned the word stigma before. So I'm curious about, um, I'm sure there are physicians out there that might want or need to do this for themselves, but are afraid of what people will think if they went into this line of work. So can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I um, I end up dealing with that a lot. If I'm ever at a CEU conference, um, I do some CEU lectures too. And I tell people that If uh, they wanna crumble up a piece of paper and throw it at me, whoever hits me, I get to buy them coffee afterwards. So I kind of tease about it at at first to kind of break the ice a little bit. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, again, there's no reason for any of these conversations to be confrontational, as long as you know what you're doing. So I find um, at least in the experience that I've had when I've had the opportunity to talk to another peer review doctor, it's because they want to try to get through the cases so quickly that they just skim through everything really fast and make the phone call while they haven't even read everything yet. And so if they're yelling or if they're doing something not professional, it's because they just don't know what they're talking about with that particular case. So um, that is a, a stigma that I'm looking to overcome with my coaching program, um, especially the peer review term school portion, because I'm looking to absolutely end that because just like there are patients that, are mil- that try to milk the system and providers that try to milk the system, every once in a while, you'll come across a, a peer review doctor that wants to do the same thing, just wants to make a bunch of money and, um, you know, stay in their, stay in their office and not have anything else to do. So sure. I know. Is- I mean, I've met them. I know who, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, they
0: exist, you know, and they
1: absolutely if- do exist. They exist. Yeah. So uh, that's what I'm hoping to accomplish with my coaching program is that yeah. not only do doctors that are curious about what these other, other options might be become a little bit more open to it, but then also over time, I contribute to really re- reinvigorating the industry to be something where the doctors are still focused on patient care and getting the right people, the right solutions, and doing it in a really nice way.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we all need to be um, a little less judgmental too. There are, I've spoken about this many times, especially if I have a chiropractor or an acupuncturist um, on, you know, because I work with with every type of healer. Um, I know that because I've heard all of the the back and forth about, you know, what MDs think of DOs and what DOs think of MDs and what chiropractors uh, and MDs don't get along. And you know, it was ridiculous it to is. be quite honest it with you, it. but it exists. <laughs> you know, it is, it is prejudice in an industry that should be more focused on the patient outcome. Yes. Right. The, and that. if everybody focused on the patient outcome, you know, there is a need and a purpose for what you do. There is a need and a purpose. We need to have doctors doing peer reviews. That's just, that's a a need. So
1: so put those
0: prejudices away.
1: (laughs) That's right. So what what we've gotten ourselves into now is a system where the doctors that are left treating people clinically and haven't completely left the industry are so overworked that the documentation just doesn't have the substance that it's supposed to Mm -hmm. And that's where peer, peer review really has an opportunity to shine because patients with comorbidities, patients with treatment complications, patients with multiple areas of injury um, or multiple times that they've been injured, there's a time and place for those, for those people to have types of care that people wouldn't normally be certified for or extended treatment where it normally wouldn't be supported. But if you don't have someone that's a caring peer review doctor, That story never gets to be told. So that's really my, my main objective is to completely revitalize the peer review industry and to make it a situation where you're still focused on patient care because that's indirectly what you're doing. Um, I I talked to one uh, colleague of mine and she was like, I can't believe you're just not seeing very many patients anymore. And I say, well, I have hundreds of patients. <laughs> now, I, I really, I do, I care about every single file that I open. And um, I write down every single name and every single birthday of every case that, I review and remember that these people have families and these people have jobs that they need to return to, um, or if they can't return to their job, they need someone to really advocate them. So I think that is a big thing. Um, some peer review doctors miss, which have then led to the stigma that we're just a bunch of mean people that don't care about anybody. And that hopefully isn't, case very often. Um, and that's something that I'm looking to completely spearhead with my coaching program.
0: Cool. I have one more question. What about, um, what about malpractice? I'm just thinking about, oh, um, good. yeah. What does that look like for a doctor that is taking this on?
1: It's actually really easy. Um, so the way my malpractice works is the more hours that you spend one-on-one with patients per mm-hmm. week, the higher your rate is. So I was able to downgrade my, um, my plan to something Mm -hmm. where I'm only seeing patients about 10 hours a week right now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not anything that's needed because each company that you work for is going to maintain their own, uh, their own insurances. Mm -hmm. But there, I got a um, errors and emissions rider added to my malpractice insurance. And Mm -hmm. it really is such a rare situation that the company I have my insurance through had to make one up for me. Like that's why they have a a errors and emissions rider now is because I was like, no, I really want to make sure that I'm 10,000% covered no matter where I go or no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that really only applies if, um, let's say I were to get a case and submit a report and a doctor felt that there was something that I just didn't read or something that I missed um, within that documentation and that led to that decision being made so. Um, luckily, I haven't had any type of uh, negative circumstance at all with uh four, four plus years now of mm-hmm. doing peer review work, but um, I did get that added to my malpractice but overall my policy uh, cost is lower because Mm -hmm. there is just a little bit less risk writing reports than there is putting your hands on people.
0: And is there room for NPs and PAs in this, in this realm?
1: There is um, a big industry that is developing now in order to save uh, some of the more rare specialists time. And then also provide the insurance company with the type of report that they want Mm -hmm. is drafting. So there might be a nurse practitioner or PA uh, or sometimes a doctor of physical therapy, someone that's still definitely really educated and really has a good clinical clinical sense and clinical Mm -hmm. intuition will write out the report. They'll get special training on what the insurance company wants the reports to look like. Do they want bullet point lists? Do they want narrative paragraphs? Do they want um, things in chronological order from beginning to end? Or do they want um, surgical procedures discussed here, followed by whatever? So those people will get trained more on what the report needs to look like and how to answer the question, the type of verbiage that these clients want and get it ready. For someone that might be a pediatric brain surgeon, where you probably won't ever have a substantial caseload, there's just Mm -hmm. not a lot of pediatric brain surgery cases that go all the way to peer review. So in that instance, you definitely need that particular specialist. But since that person doesn't have a big caseload, isn't going to provide the insurance company with the report the exactly exactly the way they want it so these professionals have a really good opportunity to get these reports ready for that pediatric brain surgeon and then that person can just add in little bits of information and they can be the one to do the phone call and so again to-
0: they're going to do all the work and the dollar the doctor's going to get the biggest bang for their buck
1: <laughs> no let's not be really. real here
0: come on jessica <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh,
1: but I, I do way. think
0: it's, I think it's a great opportunity, but I don't want to just limit it to the, you know, the MD. Right. And so that, that's and,
1: where they, but um, in, in those circumstances, the person who's drafting makes more money than mm-hmm. the the doctor that does the phone call. And I know that because I've done both, I've done some drafting and then I've been that person that has been sent drafted reports. And then all I do is the phone call. Mm-hmm. So um, the person drafting Makes about twice as much per case as the doctor that only does the phone call.
0: Listen, there's a lot of people right now. It's been called the Great Resign. We'll use the buzzwords. You know, there's a lot of people in healthcare right now that are looking to shift, Um, and and this doesn't have to be something you do for the rest of your career. This, although it could be, um, but it could be something to help you navigate through until you know you're you're positive of the direction that you want to go into too. I like the fact that there are, there are options out there that some practitioners might not be aware of. So Jessica, I think it's fantastic that you're offering this, um, all of the information about the course, uh, the upcoming one is in the show notes information about Jessica and her bio and her website, um, in the show notes. So please, please click and please sign up um i certainly think this is a great opportunity for a lot of the uh healthy practitioners out there to take a little bit of a break with seeing patients and and still getting paid for all of the years that they spent in school <laughs> and still paying back the student loans ha! <laughs> 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 jessica thank you so much for being
1: thank here thank you so much this was thank fun you.
0: thank you so much have a great new year Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review or share it with somebody you know and care about that would benefit from listening. But more importantly, if you are thinking about advertising your business in the year 2021, sponsoring a podcast is major. 44% of people pay more attention to advertising on podcasts than any other media. And 37% agree that advertising on a podcast is actually the best way to reach them. 70% have considered a new product or service after hearing an ad on a podcast. And I'm one of those people. And this is all according to Edison Research. Don't believe me. Believe the research. So if you're interested in sponsoring, give us a shout.